Good morning. Good morning. Hey! Either a UFO is hovering. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 6. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Hey, church, are you here? All right, roll call. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. This is the future. This is what's coming. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage... For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, parentheses, you, the church, the bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. Key phrase, it was granted. It was granted for you, the church, for us, a sinful people. It was granted, it was gifted. It was sacrificed for us. It was granted so that we could wear white. So that we could be pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the first thing we do, we're going to do when we get to heaven is eat. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe lamb, tacos. I don't know what particularly is on the menu, but I do know we will gather and we will eat and we will celebrate what has happened. This is the end. We win, by the way. If you're new to following Christ, you need to know that even in the struggle and even in this broken and dark and seemingly hopeful, hopeless world, we win. You win, your soul wins, your soul's been saved, you've been granted, you've been gifted because of the cross to be saved, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, and to rise again and have eternal life. But even us as a whole, us as a church, we get to be the bride. We get to be the one that walks down the aisle in pure white linens, honored, prepared for the groom that's waiting for us. That's eventually coming back to swoop us up. Amen? This is the end. This is the good news. But we're in a series called Not Today, Satan. Specifically this week, Not My Marriage. This is actually the last week of the series, Not Today, Satan. We're moving on uh, to some really exciting things the next couple weeks. Next week, as was mentioned, was, is Father's Day. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been working a long time for this moment. Uh, for Mr. Vinny in the back, give it up for Vinny. You don't know, 
You have no idea what you're clapping for, but next week he's going to be up here giving the, the message. Uh, next week as we, we center on Father's Day, we thought it was the bullseye kind of day that Vinny could share his story. What has the lamb done in his life? I cannot wait to hear it. Um, what an honor. Uh, what a, an amazing man of, of, of God and real, raw, what, what, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, that he is. And if you know Vinny, we're not responsible for anything he says uh, or does. Unless it's good, then we'll take credit, I guess, for letting him have the opportunity. But if it's not, you can email Cameron at ministries.com. Or Katie. Katie's not here today. Katie at ConduitMinistries.com. She'll take care of it and we'll, we'll sort it out. But make sure you're here next week um, to hear uh, Vinny's story, what God's done in his life as we celebrate fathers. Burger bar. Need I say more? I mean, it's like tacos and then burgers, but it's right up there. We're going to have burger bar uh, out of the food truck. It's just going to be a great day. And then we're going to start our summer series. Our summer series, uh, we're gonna, you're going to hear a little bit more about it this week on social media, but it's called Divine Appointments and Pursuing Purposeful Relationships. So this summer is about mission in your home, in your church, and ultimately your city. Um, so we want you to be thinking about, be praying into those divine appointments, those divine moments, both with people that you know really well and people that you've never met before. What is God drawing you into? What divine appointment is he bringing you into? Um, so we're really excited about spending 10 weeks on that and taking us through uh, the summer. But as we end, not today, Satan. I'll be honest, I'm done with Satan. So done with the devil. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done even talking about him. Like, I don't even want to mention his name. I'm going to get to where he's headed. I'm going to get to where uh, his fate will bring. Um, and we, I know you're like, whoa, you're like taunting like you're, but we're standing, we're staking a claim in the name of Jesus, right? We're not trying to poke the bear, but essentially the bear has been conquered um, by, by the Savior, Jesus Christ. And his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of us, lives inside of us. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be consumed by. We have nothing to be um, overwhelmed with especially in regards to our sin, especially in regards to our church, especially in regards to our marriage. Pastor Cameron did an amazing job the last two weeks uh, centering on marriage and the oneness of marriage. Super practical, super clear, super helpful. Amen? Um, It was amazing to walk through uh, even just the divide and conquer strategy of the enemy. And what he wants to do in the oneness in our marriage. I know that there are people in this room that are married and that, that like is super applicable and super helpful and you see the strategy and it was, it was edifying. But I also know that there are people in the room that, that are single or, or maybe not at the point in life that they are married or they've been married or maybe you're here today and you're divorced or um, a widow or whatever the situation may be. Um, I actually want to address you today. I actually want to take a moment and, and see in scripture, what is the purpose of marriage? What is the point of marriage? Past, past oneness between um, your, your, you and your spouse. Past 
uh, procreation past, like, a family, past all that. Like, let's, let's just take a moment and let's zoom out more than, more than 30,000 feet. And let's zoom out and let's see what was God's intention. Not, again, not for the relationship, but what was the picture he was trying to give us? And, and again, if you're in this room and if you're like me or any other married person, there's weeks, especially when we're talking about marriage, where it's like, are you serious? Are we talking about marriage today? Like, today is not the day. Not today, Corey. Let's, let's skip the subject. This is not a good week for my marriage. Maybe there's ups and downs, and there's the reality of that. I really want to I I go up, and I want to see the greater picture, and I want to see, ultimately, that first part of our series, that first part of the phrase, not today, Satan, not my marriage, that, that not today, Satan part. And I want you to leave with the reality of victory, not only Satan's fate, but our victory. Your victory in the name of Jesus, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you will go through. Victory in the name of Jesus. Staking that claim is for you. It's for you. It's for your marriage, yes. But ultimately, Jesus came to save you. And then collectively, he came to save your home. Collectively, he came to save the church, his body, his bride. And then ultimately he dreams for us to launch out into the city and to reach those that aren't a part of the church yet. Because the church is one of the only organizations that exists for its non-members, Rick Warren says, right? It's the only organization that exists for its non-members. We're on mission to the city. We don't know what God wants to do. He's sovereign. He can sort all that out. He's fully capable to do it. But what has he asked us to do? He's asked us to go on mission. He's asked us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we do that through our love, and we do that through uh, these intersections of relationship. But something gets in the way. The enemy gets in the way. And I want to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning. So park in Revelation 19, and I'd like you to go to, because uh, we're going to come back here, but 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel 17. And I'm going to ask my wife. She doesn't know this is happening. I'm going to, we're going to ask my wife to come up and do a trust fall. Um, I'm just kidding. I am going to, I'm, going to have, I'm not going to make you say anything. or anything. Just come on up here. Um, and then could you get that, Vinny, could you get that egg salad sandwich ready for Cameron? Uh, up here? Um, yeah, come on up. So, uh, by the way, Pastor Cameron loves egg salads, and, uh, sandwiches, and pickles. Just a side note. So, this is Brienne. This is my wife. That was not very welcoming and warm. Uh, but, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, I'm sorry. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, we stood here, not here, but somewhere in Canada, uh, and Tilsonburg, Ontario, and we got married 14 years ago-ish, right? And we stood in a church, and we were, we were shaking a lot like we're shaking right now, actually. Um, but I remember this moment, and in one way, it was the most beautiful, amazing, great moment of your life, right? But there was also this, like, awkwardness to it. 
mainly because, kind of like it is now, like we're just holding hands and looking at each other, and there's like all these other things going on in the room. And I remember specifically um, getting in trouble because I kept talking. Like I was like trying to have a conversation because we were just like looking at each other, right? And there's all these other things happening. Um, ultimately, my point is, is that like I was zoomed in on the moment, but my wife was trying to draw the attention to everything else that was going on. That there was something more significant going on than just me telling her for the hundredth time how beautiful she is <laughs> and talking about other things, right? Um, and later and that kind of deal. Um, <laughs> stop, stop, don't go there. But sometimes, thank you, babe, you can go sit down, yeah. Sometimes there's this, I'm in trouble for that. No, maybe. She's smiling. I mean, that means I'm in trouble. Sometimes there's something bigger going on. Something grander going on. Uh, Steve and Taylor, see you. Uh, I, I got the amazing privilege to uh, uh, officiate their wedding last Saturday. Um, and their beautiful property that just got, there was a deluge that went through it um, the night before, ironically enough. But it was a beautiful day, and it's great to see you. Uh, great to see you're still together. That's a big plus. Um, but to stand there, one of the things that I talked about um, in this wet wedding season, right? And there's a few couples we're walking through this process right now, and it's, it's such an exciting season, right? And I told the same uh, similar story, and, and my wife was like, do you got to stop telling that story at weddings? Because it's just, it, but I'll, I'll say it here and I'll be done with it, all right? One of my favorite wedding stories was this couple in Cambridge, Ontario, which, by the way, I have a really great friend from college, Nick Ruby, that is here visiting from Toronto, and his wife, Suze, and their four beautiful girls. Uh, they're from uh, Ontario as well, but there's a place in Cambridge, Ontario, that the, this couple got married several years ago, and I saw this video, it was a news uh, clip of their wedding, and what had happened is that they, they did the ceremony, it was picture time, they went to this park, and they were taking pictures, and ultimately they're standing next to one another, and the wedding party was all there, and they're taking all these pictures, and all of a sudden they turn around, and the groom was gone. <laughs> like, the wedding was done, so like, it was a done deal, so it wasn't like he was running, all right? He maybe should have ran a, an hour before that, but at that point it was just too late, right? He's just gone, and they're looking around like, where did he go? And what they remember was that when they first got there, there was a bunch of kids playing in the water, like a river behind the park. And I guess they had asked the kids to move because they were in the pictures. Um, that, not, that would ruin the wedding photo album. Like, oh, there's that kid, too. Um, but all the kids left, but apparently one. And one boy was struggling, and he was drowning in the water. And the groom took off to rescue him. And um, so they turned around, and the groom was gone, and they quickly realized that he's way down at the river helping this boy and, and, and resuscitating this boy, and, and the boy lived. And it was just an amazing story. But the, the groom said something on the news that I'll never forget. He said, I realized in that moment that that day was about something bigger than us. And even though he's got a tuxedo soaking wet, I think they were okay with it. I think because they realized that their marriage, that their ceremony, like there was something bigger happening. There's something greater going on. And I think that's ultimately, when we say a word like marriage, if things are like okay in your life in regards to marriage, like there's this like 
yeah, marriage. But maybe marriage for you, that's like a trigger for something extremely painful in your life or something that you've not uh, been able to experience yet or, or something that just aches and pains uh, a part of your heart or soul that, that you've lost something. And I want you to know that your success in marriage, it's not ultimately about you. It's not. Whether you're together or not together, whether you're married or, or not married, it's not about that. Like there's all these earthly implications of marriage that we've talked to, we've been there. But today I want you to see the greater picture, the point of marriage was to bring glory to God. So there's this idea, especially in our culture, and unfortunately in our church Christian culture, that if we don't have it all together in our marriage, or, or something went wrong in our marriage, or they left, or just didn't work, there's this like pensive, unfortunately, this pensive, unfair reality that comes with that. And I need you to know that God's perspective is, is less on how your relationship went, and he's more pressing into the idea of his own glory. Because there is a purpose to this. And whether your own marriage was a success or not, or whether you are married or not married, you've got to zoom out for a moment to see the glory of God. And you also need to see that there's an adversary, there's an enemy that's lurking at the gate. He will destroy you. And maybe you're in this room today and you're like, destroyed. He's destroyed your heart. He's destroyed your life. He's destroyed your relationships. He's destroyed your friendships. Maybe even all the things that we've walked through during this Not Today Satan series, you've looked at it and be like, yep, the lion devoured that. Yep, the lion devoured that. And you feel defeated. And it's as if God in this moment wants to raise your chin and lift you up. And he wants you to see him. And he wants you to see his purpose and his glory, and the er eternal purpose of marriage. The eternal purpose of the bride of Christ being brought in to meet the groom forever and ever and ever. Um, there's something bigger happening. There's something bigger going on. Uh, you don't have to necessarily turn that. I think it'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Was that crickets for real? That is amazing timing. Are you guys with me back there? Can we cue the crickets again? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9. All right, turn there, guys. Oh, there we go. Right on. But as it is written on the screen... What no eye has seen, no ear heard, no heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, obviously, the context for this is so big, and it's so wide, and it goes from every direction to, to every other direction, and it applies to every part of our lives. But today, in regards to the big picture of marriage, you need to see this. So maybe you're in a spot where, like, it's, it's like, as I just walked through, this incredible incredibly painful, incredibly hard thing. You need to see this. And maybe you're in a marriage where, like, you're just totally at odds and you know it's going to work out and you know it's going to be fine, but there's no harmony, there's no humility, and there's all this turmoil and there's all this tension and there's all this conflict. Maybe you're in this spot that you need to see this as well. See, every single one of you are at a different spot, but you're all united as one church, 
One body, one Savior who sees you, who knows you, who's made you. And he's telling you right now in his word. I know I'm pulling it out of the context for a moment. But I think it completely applies to where we're at today. That no eye has seen. You have no idea. You couldn't even imagine what God wants to do. What he's prepared for you. What he's prepared for your marriage. What he's prepared for your broken heart. What he's prepared for these relationships that have been fractured. You have no idea what he wants to restore in you. You have no idea. And he's so passionate about it. He's so passionate about that restoration because he died for it. He was willing to lay it all down, not just to save you, but to save the church. So that someday there would be a marriage supper of the Lamb. That the greater, grander picture of marriage was that this is what our relationship with God was supposed to be like. That we're the bride, we're the unfaithful, whore bride that has literally turned our back and sin over and over as the church. Like we stiff-armed God over and over and over, but yet he's faithful and he's going to show up. And he still lets us wear white. And he still lets us walk down the aisle with all the pomp and circumstance because he wants to honor his church. He wants to grow his church. He wants to breathe life into the purpose of his church. So don't get discouraged. Get your head up. No matter where you're at specifically. Excuse me. The church as a whole. you got to stop worrying about what's in your home for a moment. Just for a hot second. And see the collective big picture of what God is doing in his body, the church, the bride. Because someday, someday, we're going to show up. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to walk in. Our name is going to be, because it was written in the, the, the Lamb's book of life, because we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, because by faith we pursued him, we denied ourselves, and we had a relationship with Jesus. Because of that, the Bible says that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, right? What an amazing book. But because our name is written there, because of our faith in Jesus, our name is now on a table somewhere. Imagine this one long, like, never-ending table. And somehow we all get to sit next to Jesus. We all get to have a conversation the whole time with Jesus. Like, we don't have to take turns. It's not like the air at dinner table. We're like, everybody's talking at once. And my head is spinning. And somehow Bree's like, shouting out answers. And she connects with everybody. It's like this chaotic moment. Like, Jesus gets to be with us forever and ever. And so we walk in, and it's this table, and our names are like, oh, your name's on Good to see you at dinner. Yeah, awesome. Oh, good. You made it. That's good. Um, glad your name was in there. That's great. Awesome. And here we are. I think all of the drama and all the pain and all that guilt and shame that you're feeling in regards to where you feel, you feel you've not had success in your own marriage currently or in the past, it's like a mood point. A mood point. Why? Because Jesus is in the room. And the marriage supper of the lamb is about the lamb. Not like lamb that we're eating, but the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. The blood that was shed for you and me. Guys, like we got to stop for a second. In that moment, forever, it would be the longest dinner ever, right? Jesus is the center. He's in the room. He's in the room. He's in the room today. In fact, he's in the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's dwelling inside of you. Like, 
He's living in you. His spirit has promised to indwell the believer. And so when we come together, there's this beautiful concert, choir, this beautiful moment where we get to collectively not just worship, not just sing, not just learn, not just do life together, but we get to be the bride. Jesus is here. His spirit is here. And I wish so bad we could see Jesus. I wish you could just be like, dude, you're in there. Or like, um, I had some health issues recently, and they did all these scans, right? And um, there's a lot of stuff in there, but there, I didn't see Jesus in there. I wish we could actually see him, but what his, what's happening is his spirit is in there. But remember, he's coming back, and bride, we got to get ready. We got to get ready. Have you ever been late to a wedding? Or hopefully not your own wedding? But there's this, there's this rush moment that no, there's like a million things that need to happen before 2 o'clock when the wedding starts. There's this rush and this hustle and bustle and excitement. But if something doesn't go right or somebody doesn't show up or the hair people, the makeup people, or this, that, the limo, whatever it is doesn't show up, it's like chaos because there's this moment that needs to happen. Guys, get ready. The ready. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. To like actually coming back, like face to face. Jesus rose from the dead. His body rose from the dead. His ascended uh, body went up to heaven, like his phys- the physical form. It's not just some floating around, like, like ghostly figure. He's actually alive. And he's seated right now. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And let's talk about the Father for a second. The Father God, God the Father, what did he do with Jesus? Are you with me still? I'm just trying to give you a bigger picture of marriage. What did the father do? Like, like dad, like if, if you've been, guys, if, you've, if you're married, hopefully you called the dad first to get permission. Hopefully you made that awkward, painfully awkward phone call, right? There's this wonder when you, it's, it's ringing like, ah, and you hang back out, right? There's this wonder of like, Oh, please don't. God, please don't have an answer. Please. You know, you're wondering on one end, like, what's he going to say? What's he going to think? Is he, even though it's through the phone, is he holding a gun? Like, he just had this mentality. He's, like, waiting for this moment to, like, crush you like a bug, right? And you're wondering, what does the Father think? God the Father. Ah, he loves you. Newsflash. He loves you so much that he sent his son. The Father sent his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in Jesus. So you're here today. You need to know that there's not like a certain amount of times you put your rear end in this pew. Or a certain amount of money you put in that bucket. There's not a certain amount of things that you need to earn or do. Jesus declares over and over from cover to cover, we could argue, that belief in Jesus and his sacrifice on that cross represents you to be saved, forgiven, cleansed, white, pure before a holy God. This is the only way. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I've actually, I, I kind of know this, I knew that, but I've actually never made a decision to follow Christ. I've never been saved. Let's do it right now. Let's do it. Why not? So it works like this. 
you recognize everything we just talked about, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not go to hell, will not be separated from a holy God. Not because he likes to send people to torment, but it's the simple fact of Jesus, or excuse me, God the Father is holy. He's light, and in him is no darkness at all. And the only way we can go to heaven is not because of our good deeds or church attendance or money given. It's because of Jesus Christ. He paid it all, and when Jesus said it's finished, that it means it's finished. And he rose from the dead so that you could rise. So it's this moment for you to literally say something like this as a prayer. It's, a, it's, it's just a shotgun start to the race. It's a long journey. It's not a magic prayer, but it's a powerful beginning. And maybe for you, let's do it right now. Like, we're halfway through the sermon, but let's do it. So if you want to do that, bow your head. You've never followed Christ, never trusted him. Let's do it right now. Like, let's all get on the same boat. Let's all follow Jesus. Let's all, let's all get to dinner that, that time when we get to that, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it goes like this. If, it, if you're praying this for the first time, if you just, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, Forget this moment where you're at and just talk to God and say something like, Jesus, I recognize that you died for me. I recognize that you, you took my sin, that you took my spankings for how I violated the law, how I violated what you've asked. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, save me. I'm going to follow you. Today is a new day, God. Come into my life. I want to make this covenant with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. It's awesome. Did anybody for the first time make that decision? Anybody? I know it's like super intimidating. It's super tense. If you did, we want to we wanna know because you're in good company. <laughs> you're in a place that the reason we gather is because Jesus did that for us. Um, so if you did do that, man, we'd love to know. We want to encourage you and bring you Encourage you on the way. Encourage you on the journey. It's a beautiful but difficult journey. We have an enemy who even in this moment wants to distract, wants to belittle, wants to question, wants to get us off track. There's no eye that's seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. Do you love him this morning? Do you love him? Okay, 1 Samuel 17, uh, walk through this and then we will take communion and then we will be done. 1 Samuel 17, I, I feel like we need a mighty metaphor for marriage, a mighty metaphor that no other metaphor can bring about the beauty of marriage like uh, war and a guy losing his head. Nothing 
brings about the beauty of what this is all about than this story. So you're going to have to follow me closely on this one. But I really believe that this is, this is powerful. And this is the picture of ultimately what God wants to do in marriage and in your life. And in the body of Christ. The bride of Christ. 1 Samuel 17. You guys still with me? Anybody know the story of David and Goliath? It's a doozy. All right. So, just to give you some background, Israelites, God's chosen people, God's brought them out of uh, bondage, out of slavery, slavery um, delivered them over and over, and there's a cycle that happening of like, wait, I just saved y'all out of the, the dirt and the mud you're in, but now you're like, you rolled back in it. How's this work? All right, I'll redeem you again. And there's this cycle. Does it seem familiar, right? That's the picture of the Israelites. Actually, another picture of marriage, another picture of the body of Christ, another picture of the bride of Christ is the Israelites. It's just uh, why the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is different and why we focus so much on Israel is because it's a picture of what God's communicating. So you have the Israelites on one side and you have the Philistines on the other side, right? The bad guys, the uncircumcised dudes, the guys that were not, stay with me, all right? There's purpose to that because like half of y'all just went, I'm just going to jump into the story, all right? Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And I'm sorry, I get caught up in the story. My wife, just the other day we were talking, I was like, babe, you don't need to walk. Like, people know the story. Like, I do. The story is so good. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at all these places. It starts to walk through. Ultimately, skip to verse 2. They were in the Valley of Elah. So imagine their armies on one side of the hill and there's a valley in between and then the Israelites are on this side of the valley. <clears throat> the valley of Eli, verse 3, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them, as I just said. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. We were just at this... Uh, placed in Pittsburgh watching Pastor Cameron like devour people uh, for breakfast on the Brazilian jiu-jitsu mat and it was so fun because they'd have this music that would come out for every person that was um, competing and it was like it was like I'd get I'd get destroyed but I was like ready to go after that I was like it, and Pastor Cameron's just like pacing like a lion in a cage like over on the side it was so fun but I'm imagining like this is Goliath of Gath I still think you could take him um Ultimately, it walks through how tall and big Goliath is and how big and strong and heavy his armor is. Let me translate it in the next several verses. Goliath is about nine feet, nine inches tall. Pretty tall. Um, <laughs> armor is about 125 pounds. His spear alone is 100. Uh, excuse me. His spear alone, the head of his spear, sorry, is 15 pounds alone. Big dude. Like, I even think Hollywood doesn't do a great job. Nine foot, nine, and he's always going to deep voice. Like, uh, this uh, macho voice. I think it would be funny to, like, go back and to know that maybe, like, he talked like this. Like, he was just, like, a really big guy. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Israelites, bring on! You know, like, 
And how did he know he was that tall? It was like through the back. Or actually, they probably measured him after. You know the end of the story. Anyways, I'm sure he had all kinds of stuff going on. But nonetheless, he's taunting the good guys. He's taunting the Israelites. And so what's happening is that every day, he comes out and he proposes. I'm paraphrasing. He proposes to the good guys. He proposes to God's people. Just send me one man. I just need one. Bring me one man. And if you kill me, then we will be your servants. And if I kill you, then you will be our servants. We got some, we got some, we got some men and women in this church that have served in battle. And like mighty, mighty warriors. I've never been in the military. I can't imagine having the response that the Israelites had in regards to this punk. They were so scared. They were greatly afraid. In fact, for 40 days, I can imagine the moment of being like completely filled with fear. Like, I can't take this guy. None of y'all can take this guy. This guy's crazy. He's got a high voice, but he's huge. He's going to crush you, right? Um, I can't imagine. It says for 40 days he taunted. He came out, all right, day 49. <laughs> like, like taunting the good guys. And they were all scared. And Saul, the leader of, the, of them, the army, the leader of the Israelites, they didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. And you know the story. David had a bunch of older brothers who were actually in battle, who were there, scared themselves. And David's father, Jesse, asked David to bring him some lunch and kind of go get a peek and get a, a, a report on how his boys were doing. And so David did just that. And he brought all this stuff to his brothers. And uh, any, any, any guys, especially here, have little brothers um, in the room? Like, there's this, like, get out of here, dude. Like, what are you? Oh, this is so embarrassing. Like, there's this, this, you get this idea from the story, and David kind of comes up. And David's minding his own business. But you got to understand that David knows that even he hasn't seen or heard what God has prepared for him. And even as a boy, he doesn't get it. He hears Goliath. He hears him. And he's like looking around. He's like, are you like the good, like David's walking around. He's like, are you guys serious? You're scared of this guy. And of course they pass him off like he's just some little kid or some punk kid that doesn't know what he's saying or doing. And so he goes to the top. He goes to the authority. And he goes to Saul and he says, I'll take this man. I'll take him. I got him. No big deal. And eventually Saul agrees to it. And so Saul helps David get his armor on, helps him get all that he needs to fight Goliath. And of course, you know the story, none of that fits. So he drops all that, and David's like, Psh, I'll just be me. I'll just be me. And so like, what's David's resume? I love this. This is like one of my favorite parts of the story. So after all this taunting, after all this, um, these things... Uh, it says, then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these things, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and then he took his staff. Bro, it's a stick, 
with a curve on the end. Like that's all you got. And he took five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in the shepherd's pouch and he sling and his side in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and he came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. So he even had help. This guy's a punk. And when the Philistine looked at Saul David, he disdained him. And when he saw that he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance, oh, look at that cute little boy. He's coming to fight me. I'm going to eat you for breakfast. I'm going to eat you for breakfast, man. Like that was kind of his perspective. <laughs> David probably had a deeper voice than him. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? Did you come to fight me with sticks? And <laughs> So now he's talking trash. Oh, I love it. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistines, Woo! he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Come on, that's some trash talk. And he's not boasting in his strength. He's boasting in God's strength, right? And you know the story? And Goliath is talking about his strength and what he's got and his pride. And what David's got, he doesn't even have a good army. They're all scared to death, hiding behind trees, like on and on. David's got nothing but God. But that's all he needs. And in this divine appointment, in this divine moment, he challenges back. He's like, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to cut off your head, bro. And I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I love that we tell this. This is like the favorite children's story, right? We tell our kids this stuff. And, uh, and we're like, have a good night. <laughs> Sleep tight. <laughs> and all that the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, but the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. And you know how the story goes. As they were in the valley, David ran down the hill into the valley, and Goliath came down into the valley, and Goliath, or David took his smooth stone and in a sling, and he slung it at Goliath, and it hit him right in the head. It says that he has head sunk in and he says that he fell to the ground and David says that David did, wasn't carrying a sword so he took out Goliath's sword this is the best part of the story kids plug your ears like he pulls the like swing. like he's like lifting off the sword and he totally takes his head off I know like kids don't try this at home then David I can imagine grabs his head and lifts it up. And it says that the Israelites lit out a shout. Ah! They all ran after the Philistines. And they pursued them and pursued them until they had victory. I know that we like to be the hero of our own story. I know that you want to 
talk about marriage and you want to think about what you can do to fix it. Maybe even what you can do to redeem or heal the hurt that you feel or fix the conflict you're in. But you need to know that this is not a great, like we've not, a, not done a, maybe a great job telling this story to our kids. Newsflash, we are not, we are not David. We are the Israelites. We had nothing to bring to the fight. We're shaking in our boots, full of fear, and Jesus is David. That's why that's in the Bible. They like to tell gory stories. Is that Jesus is proclaiming that he silences fear. That he will cut off the head of the serpent. In fact, let's rewind back a second. Follow me for a moment. Back in the Garden of Eden. Pastor Cameron walked this, like the oneness was about Adam and Eve. It says that they were completely naked and they felt no shame. They had perfect oneness. Until that punk, the serpent, Satan, the devil ruined that. He lied to them and they fell into the trap. And the first thing that Jesus does, the first thing that God the Father, the first thing that the Holy Spirit, the Trinity does right after that moment in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? He says that, and he says this like really cryptic thing, and he's talking about the serpent. He says that the serpent, that the serpent will bruise his head, but that the man, Jesus, will bruise his heel. It's this idea that he's going to stomp on that serpent's head. It's this reality that that head will be cut off, that the enemy will be cut off. It's this reality that, yes, even now, through Jesus on the cross and your faith in him and Jesus' body rising from the dead so that you can have eternal life in this broken life in the 75 years you're given, that's the victory we feel. But you need to also understand that when Jesus stepped in as David, that he stood up to the giant, that he's the one that was the hero, that he's the one that motivated the whole army to pursue, to pursue victory and not be defeated. And not be held down. And not be full of fear. Marriage. (laughs) There's no metaphor connection with that war and your marriage, hopefully. But in all reality, you need to understand that your success in marriage is not you being a hero. It's not you even being sacrificial lamb. It's about Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. It's about him laying down his life and that your marriage would be centered around Jesus, the hero. Not you, the hero. Or not them, the villain. Or they hurt you, or the 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, they completely screwed your life up. Don't even do that. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. As we've learned the last two weeks, is that this reality that not today, Satan, staking a claim in the name of Jesus is saying, Jesus, you are king. And that Satan has no hold on me. He's got no hold on my marriage. He's got no hold on my kids. He's got no hold on my house. He's got no hold on my, my, my church. He's got no hold of my friends. He's got no hold on my mom. He's got no hold on my dad. He's got no hold on nobody. Because I'm claiming in the name of Jesus that I'm staking this claim on him. And he's the hero. And I'm not. Gripping to the faith of Jesus Christ. That marriage is about Jesus. 
It's about Jesus reigning in your marriage, reigning in your heart. You know what? Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're at that spot where you're just completely broken or hurt or widowed or, or just not, maybe not at the, the point in your life where that's been revealed to you yet of what that next step looks like for marriage. Listen, listen, listen. It's about Jesus today. In your life today, let him redeem you today. Let you see him be taunting the devil, taunting the enemy, and that he comes forward in victory. And yes, you're shaking right now, and you're hurt right now, and you're at a spot where like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to say. I'm completely crippled. I have no idea what to do in this situation. I have no idea. I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. I'm so lost. I'm so confused. I don't know what's coming. That's the Israelites. That's us. But we win. We're on the winning team. Jesus is over here like holding up the head. It's about how David eventually he took his armor and he put it on his tent and he took his head and walked back. Do you imagine just like this giant head that David is walking with? This is this idea that that is the picture of what Christ did for us. That's what he did. And so my zoom out moment for you is this idea that our victory is in Jesus, not our victory is in a good marriage. As good as your marriage can be, and pursue that. I'm not trying to take away from that, but I also know the reality of the hurt and the pain and confusion that we face in this life because we're all human. And we're redeemed, perhaps, uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, but maybe we're at a spot, we're just drowning in the the toxicity of of it all. Or maybe it's someone else's marriage that, or your parents, or something else that is affecting, you need to know that today, not, not weeks from now, and you don't have to wait till eternity, you can have victory in the name of Jesus today. Stake a claim. Offer forgiveness. Seek peace. Look it right in the face. Look it right in the face. And do everything in your power, as it says in James, everything in your power to bring peace to the situation. There's so much out of your control, but you bring what you can in that moment, peace. Our victory was in David. Our victory ultimately is in Jesus. I love how Jesus sent the man, Adam, messed it up. And then all throughout the Bible, Noah and Moses and David and all these people sent forth that these guys, even there's pictures of moment of victory, like, yeah, David. But then like later in his life, he's like, Oh, no, David, no, that's not good. Or like Noah, it's like, dude, good job on the boat, man. Like, save the world, literally. But like later in life, like, I don't know. I mean, like there's this idea that we are flawed men. That even in our marriages, there are things that just, <clears throat> that just happen. That have happened. And here you are. The point of it is to not look back point of it is to look present and victory and forward victory. I'm going to read Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5. I want you to see it. Or it might be on the screen. Revelation 21. Newsflash, it's like the last page of your Bible. And then, no, 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 actually, Revelation 20. This is awesome. You want to talk about the reality of the future 
fate of the devil. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. When the devil reminds you of your past and you're forgiven in the name of Jesus, you've asked for forgiveness, you've confessed your sin to Jesus, you're following him, you remind the devil of this. You don't know what to say. Read this. Read this out loud. Verses 7 of chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and come. There's so much context. It's hard to skip through or it's hard to just land on this. But let's go down to verse 10. Verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them. And the devil who had deceived them. And the devil who had deceived them. Would you raise your hand if you've been deceived by the devil? And the devil who had deceived you. And the devil who had deceived me. Wait for it. Was thrown into the lake of fire. And sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And he was tormented. And they were tormented. Day and night. Forever and ever. And in the commentary, it says that Coriarit's boot is on his rear end, pushing him down into the lake of fire. Hell was created for him. It's never God's design or desire that you should perish. But rewind, what, is, what did he make provision for? For you to be saved. For you to be redeemed. For you to have victory. You're on the right side. Hang on. Trust Jesus. You see the victory right ahead of you. And he promises the future that the enemy will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. That's why heaven's so amazing. It's because the devil has no hold to, on you to deceive you. You are set free from that. You are set free from his bondage. You are set free from temptation. Amen. Like, come on. Who wants release from that? I do. I can't wait until that day. And I'm not saying that you should go out, guns blazing, poking the bear, and challenging him as David did Goliath. Because, again, you're not David. Jesus is David. He stood the gap in our life. And he stood the gap for picture of marriage that we would someday reunite and have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That that feast, that that moment would be the greatest moment of victory. It would be a celebration. The enemy is defeated. Silence, fear, in the name of Jesus. That's the design. That's the idea. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. You're on the good guy's team. You're on team Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him. So how do you do that in reality? And what does this mean in regards to communion? You have that Bible. We've been kind of cover to cover in relation to Genesis and Revelation and a lot of places in between. But if you divide it like two-thirds, kind of divide it in half. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have the Old Covenant and you have the New Covenant. Hey, like newsflash, this covenant of salvation, of redemption that has been offered to you, it's not some wishy-washy, come-and-go type of deal. This is a covenant. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 22, 
that Jesus, when he took with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he said, This is my body. Broken for you. And this covenant this is my blood shed for you. Shed for you. You see in reality in that story David won. He just had to launch a rock. Jesus actually had to be the lamb. He had to be slaughtered. It was his blood. It was his head. And so the covenant was made in blood. The covenant was made with life. And yes, it's grape juice. But it's to remind us that Jesus' blood was shed. That a head had to roll. A head had to roll. And he says, better me than you. Better me than you. So, as victors, as followers of Jesus, may you see this new promise, this new covenant. You may make a covenant, and maybe you've been married, and maybe you, you're in a spot, and you made a covenant. You need to know as deep and as beautiful and as God-ordained as that sacred covenant is, that at the end of the day, we are covenant breakers. Jesus is a covenant maker. And he made a covenant in his blood. And in this moment, as a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. And you can make two lines. Pastor Cameron's going to join me. And you take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Christ. And then in the name of Jesus... Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that he is Lord. That this covenant is victory. That this blood is victory. That this blood represents the life of Jesus that left him and has now come to you. So would you celebrate with us?